Good morning and God's blessings to all of you. Uh, I think it's already been mentioned, this is the first Sunday of 2024. We've uh, put the old man of 2023 to, to rest, and uh, we're already seven days into the baby of 2024. And um, it's an exciting um, time for, I think, all of us. Uh, I think that turning of a new year is certainly something that has caught our attention and the attention of mankind for a long time. And my, my prayer is, as I uh, share this, uh, what I prepared here this morning, that God would use it to uh, be a challenge to you as it has to me. As I prepared, I was uh, challenged and encouraged, and uh, I think it's a very fitting passage for uh, where we are in the, on this particular Sunday. I've entitled the sermon, The Bowed Heart, and it's, uh, as I work through the book of First Peter and uh, sermons here at Weavertown, we find ourselves today in verses 5 to 7, and um, again, I just uh, am amazed at how Peter packs in so many rich concepts and principles into yeah, a concise way of doing it, and I'm just thankful for the Word of God and how it speaks to, to me and to, to all of us. So we'll be looking at 1 Peter 5, verses uh, 5, 6, and 7. And the theme is mostly uh, in relation to humility, submission, and I think ultimately uh, finding rest in, in God's care for our lives. A bowed heart, it, I think, is a posture of humility it's a posture uh, that I think indicates an attitude, primarily inwardly, uh, while we think of bowing as something that's done outwardly. I think when we talk about a bowed heart, we're talking about something that is happening inside or inwardly. It's a condition that's inward, first of all, an attitude. And it's, a, I think, an attitude that indicates to ourselves and to God that we are in need, that He is Lord and we're not. I think we need to remind ourselves of that, that concept, and those are some of the things that we'd like to talk about um, throughout the sermon today. <clears throat> now, pride is something that we know about. I do. Pride is something that all of us deal with to some extent or another. I think pride is considered to be the oldest sin, um, Satan in heaven thought that he was something, and he was cast out of heaven because of that. I think Adam and Eve fell for that same sin in the garden. Pride was connected to the, the sin that they committed in seeing themselves as able to decide, and they entered into that pride. And it's something that has afflicted mankind, I think, throughout, throughout all of our existence. Just a couple of quotes that I came across uh, this week. Pride, our greatest enemy. Humility, our greatest friend. D.L. Moody once said, be humble or you'll stumble. And I find that um, instructive. Reminds me of the proverb in the book of Proverbs where it says, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we don't need reminders of this, do we? We, we see it. We, we've experienced it in our own lives. We know of stories throughout history that have brought out this concept. 
Be humble or you'll stumble. As I think of the context of these verses, I find it uh, several things that I'd like to point out as I think about the context here. Peter is getting close to the end of the, uh, the letter here, the epistle. And he addresses the elders in verses 1 to 4, and we talked about that in our last sermon. Peter has addressed the elders of the church, and he's told them that they are to shepherd or to feed the flock. They are to do so by example, he says. And they're to do it willingly, not out of compulsion or um, because of their force to do so. And so after addressing the elders, he addresses those who are younger. See how he breaks in there in verse 5? He says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves. And then in verses 6 and 7, verse, uh, the end of verse 5 through 7, he addresses everyone, everyone else. And the address is very pointed, it's very clear that we, whoever is reading this, are to be submissive, we're to be humble, we are to take steps to be humble, we are to humble ourselves, he says, before God. It's always better to do that rather than have be humbled in some other way, have God humble us. Um, we're invited to humble ourselves, to, to take steps, and we're to do it, I think, according to the context here, in the same way that the elders are to do their job. We're to, to submit, we're supposed to humble ourselves willingly, we should do it eagerly, of a ready mind, he says in verse 4, and we're to do it by example. Likewise, that's the connecting word there in verse 5. The same way that the elders do um, their responsibility, we as followers are to, to do it in that same way. The reader is instructed to do it likewise or in that same manner. Also, by way of context, I think it's good for us to think about Peter's audience here. So Peter's audience is a group of people, Jewish people mostly, I think, who have been scattered. Remember in chapter 1, verse 1, he talks about, he addresses this epistle to people that have been scattered because of persecution. They are suffering. It's the theme of this, of this, uh, this letter, suffering. I think 21 times throughout the epistle, suffering or some form of suffering is addressed. So he's writing to a group of people who are feeling the pain of suffering. And you know something? When suffering is present, it does something to us. When we're suffering, it changes our concept of life. It tends to bring out the worst in us. Many times we tend to to resort to selfishness and things that are, yeah, um, it brings out the worst in people. It brings out, it tends to bring out the worst attitudes in us. It tends to bring tensions into our lives in, in whatever sort. Suffering has a way of doing that. And when we, we suffer, we tend toward less honorable behavior or less 
honorable uh, feelings. Sometimes when we're suffering, when we're under pressure, our temper will flare, or irritations mount, or accusations will come. And pride has a way of presenting itself when we suffer. And I think that it seems to, it seems to me at least that at least in part that that's the setting of where we are right here in First Peter chapter 5. The pressures on the outside of the church, um, Peter understands and knows that has produced a pressure within them, and he's challenging that specific aspect. When we're going through hard times, maybe these verses are especially for, for us to apply to ourselves. <clears throat> so here in these, this set of verses, I've already pointed out, he says that Likewise, just like the, the group ahead of, or the prior group in verses 1 to 4, those of you, those of us who are younger, and, well, let me just back up. I've uh, divided this into three, three sections, and uh, I've chosen to um, put the sections into uh, three principles and each principle has a, a little sentence. So, the first one we're looking at here is principle number one. Responding to authority helps leadership. Responding to authority helps leadership. And so he breaks in here in verse 5 and addresses those who are younger. And... He says, likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Now, there's nothing that's really more helpful if you're in any form of leadership, whether it's in your home or your business or your job of some sort, when people who you are responsible for you um, see themselves as part of the, the team and the overall um, effort, you know, they embrace that. And I think it's, um, yeah, I'm uh, not sure exactly how to present this. I want to do it in a way that is able to, for any of us to receive. But he addresses this particular point to those who are younger. And um, the King James Version uses the word younger. Many other translation, translations use the word young men. And uh, I, in studying the Greek uh, word, it does sort of seem like he is specifically talking to younger men as he addresses that. So he's already talked about submission. Throughout this book, First Peter, we've mentioned and seen it numerous times in our study. Back in chapter 2, verse 13, he writes that we are to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man, for the Lord's sake. In chapter 2, verse 18, he says, servants are to be submissive to their masters. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says that wives are to submit to their husbands. And in chapter 3, uh, verse 7, he says, likewise, ye husbands. Again, he's talking, that uses that connecting word, likewise. The idea of husbands submitting to their wives 
In chapter 3, verse 22, Peter writes about angels or angelic beings being in subjection to Christ. And basically, if you look at this uh, series here that I gave you, it's talking about submission to everyone and everybody in all forms of life. Submission, as I as we uh, noticed when, um, when I talked about those portions and those chapters, submission, I think, at its core is simply yielding. It's, it's allowing the other person to have the right of way. For example, when we drive on the road, and I thought of it this week again, I, uh, when we go to Ephrata from our house, we take the back road typically, and there's, uh, I think, three places there where there's narrow bridges, and the sort of one, one-way uh, bridges or room for one person, one car. And if you notice it, there's a yield sign when you're headed north toward Ephrata. And when you come home, headed south, there's a yield sign on that side as well. You're to yield to each other. That, that is the, the, the picture, I think, of submission. It's not one person only having all the right away, but it's, it's working together, taking turns, allowing the other person to have the right of way. It's yielding. The fact is, I think you can't be saved without submission, if you, if you think of it. You need to yield yourself to God. You need to yield yourself to His Word. When you became saved, there were areas in your, lives, in your life that needed change. Repentance is the word that we use. And in order for repentance to take place in my life, I need to yield. When you become saved, you yielded. Submission, I think, is an absolute requirement for, for those things. You can't follow Christ unless you are submitted or yielded to Christ as your Lord. And again, just notice to whom this is written. He specifically says, younger in the King James Version, young men in most other translations. And I, I, I remember, I know, I've, I'm still a younger man, and I remember especially when I was younger that I would be especially more impatient than I am now with those that were older. And I, I think more with submission. We're more impulsive, we're more aggressive, we're more headstrong, and we have a tougher time with submission. It's harder for us to be submissive as younger men. And in many ways, as young men, uh, we get the feeling that we have the world by the tail, and probably in many ways we do. But the purpose of submission, I think, is to yield, and one of the ways that you can be a good shepherd and yeah, looking at the first four verses, one of the best ways to learn to be a good shepherd is to first of all be a good sheep. And so I think he's bringing that point in. Being a young person is actually a wonderful time. It is youth and young people. Uh, it's a time of daring and creativity and feeling invincible and um, setting new courses and charts for our life, and that's all tremendously good. 
But there is a tendency in those of us who are younger to think that we are better, especially better than the older generation, and that can be catastrophic for us. So submission is necessary. And in virtually every area of life, there is some sort of structure. There is a chain of command for anything to work. And that's also true in the church. I'm not bringing that into um, some self-serving sort of way, but it is just simply part of the biblical text. Here he addresses the elders, and then he addresses the younger men or the younger people, and he says, instructs them what should be their response to those who are older. And submitting to a human being, being in submission to any human is risky. It can be scary. Submitting to any human means that you are putting yourself in a place of vulnerability. You could be taken advantage of. They could take advantage of you. And so it's sort of an act of faith, I think. When you submit to any person, whether you're a believer or not, you're trusting in their ability to, to lead. It's an act of faith. So responding to authority helps leadership. The second thing, living in humility improves fellowship. Living in humility improves fellowship. Look at the rest of verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. That was point one. He says, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. <clears throat> yea, all of you. He's addressing the elders in verses 1 to 4. And then he addresses the younger people in the beginning of verse 5. And now he transitions to everyone, sort of like they would say in the South. All y'all. All of y'all be subject one to another. All of you be in submission. That's the attitude of humility that he's lifting up. Everyone be in submission. All of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. He talks about the act of submission here. And I think one of the acts of submission is starts, first of all, inwardly with an attitude of humility. I'd like to suggest and leave you with this thought this morning that humility and submission is sort of like oil in an engine. In an engine, one of the reasons you have oil is to help cool the engine because you have metal parts that are rubbing against each other and when um, metal rubs against each other, it causes friction. And friction it happens at least two different ways. One is when one part is standing still and the other part is moving, or if the two parts are moving in opposite directions. That creates friction. And so the people who uh, designed engines put lubricants in there to cause the parts, the friction to be minimized, um, to, to, to lower the heat. And I'd like to suggest that Submission and humility are sort of like those lubricants. Notice what he says. Be submissive to one another. Remember the word for submission? I think we've looked at it different times in our study back in chapter 3. The Greek word hupotasso. And it means to line up under. It means it, it's clearly a word that indicates structure and, and, 
Um, it indicates a, a, line, a chain of command. It's the idea that there's authority and there's roles under in that chain. You get in line with that authority. You do your job. You be the strong link in wherever you find yourself in that chain. You relinquish. Not only it's not all about you, but you link with the other links on that chain. That's, that's the idea of hupotassel, the, the Greek word. <clears throat> the word humility in the Greek means to get low-lying or to, be, uh, to get low. And that same word is translated in a couple of other passages in the New Testament, and it's translated in those contexts as being lowly in mind. Lowliness is, is the word that's used. For example, in Philippians chapter 2, he talks about uh, being um, with lowliness. I thought I had that uh, verse memorized. Uh, right now it's not coming to me. Philippians chapter 2, that each of you esteem each other better than your oneself. That's, that's the uh, context where it's used in the word. It uses the word lowliness. Um, actually, Philippians chapter 2 is very much a parallel passage to this, this set of verses here. And um, if you look at Philippians 2, you see Jesus being lifted up as, as being lowly of mind, being humble. Jesus being in submission. Jesus being the link in that chain, that, God, that chain of command that God had. And Jesus was faithful in, in his role. He was he was submissive. He was humble. And I think it's one of the chief characteristics of Jesus. You can see that uh, in his life and just through the teaching of the, of the Bible. So we take Jesus as our model. We take Christ as our model. And here we are instructed to be clothed with humility. I think it's a very interesting term. And maybe he's borrowing something from the slave market. I'm not sure. The, uh, slaves were an unbelievably part of society. I think, I think many uh, historians would say that there were more slaves at this time in the Roman Empire than there were people who were free. So majority of people were slaves in some sort of way. And they wore clothing that would indicate, that would depict them as slaves. Maybe there was some sort of apron or some sort of belt or something. And here he uses, he borrows from that concept and he talks about being clothed with humility. Colossians chapter 3 also talks about that same concept where he talks about putting on humility. It's something that you wear. Um, J.B. Phillips in his translations uses um, that he builds on that, and he says, put on the overalls of humility. I think that's pretty instructive. It's something that we wear. It's something that we put on. It's a style of clothing. Borrowing from the text here, it's something that we choose. It's something that we pick, and we wear it. Um, good reminder, I think, for, for me and all of us. Clothe yourself with humility. Put on that apron. Wear the overhauls, the overalls of humility. And he says, why? He goes on. He says, because, or 
4 is the word that's used there in, in the King James Version. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Why do we clothe ourselves with humility? Because we want God's grace, right? We want that we want God's favor. We don't who wants to be resisted by God? Well, it says here that God resists the, the, the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Let's chew on that for just a minute. God resists the proud. I think one of the easiest ways to pick a fight with God is to lift ourselves up. If we want resistance from God, pride is the way to do it. God hates pride. When you're proud, it's like choosing God. Or it's like, yeah, choosing yourself, choosing God off or putting him off the throne. It sets you against him in a way that maybe there's no other way to do it quite. It puts you on the throne and you push God aside when you're proud. And God says that he who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's the words of Jesus in Luke, I believe. <clears throat> There's some um, natural or uh, physical examples. In wheat, for example, um, I remember uh, being out in Kansas a number of years ago and um, seeing a huge wheat field. It looked perfect from my inexperienced uh, um, view. But uh, the person that was showing me the field said that the wheat harvest is going to be low this year because he could tell by the wheat heads were standing up. And he said the empty wheat, the empty heads stand up. The wheat heads that are full are bowed down. It's kind of like a fruit tree. And um, maybe Kaufman's doesn't really apply here because they put theirs on arbors, I think. But when you see a fruit tree and the branches are way down to the ground, those are the limbs that are bearing fruit. They're bowed down. They're lowest to the ground. So clothe yourself with humility. Choose lowliness of mind. Put on the garment of a slave. Serve one another. So responding to authority helps leadership. Living in humility improves fellowship. At this point, I want to give what I feel is an absolute necessary quality in order for submission to be a reality in our lives, in order for humility to be the covering of our lives, the clothing of our lives, and the absolute quality that I'm talking about is gratitude. When we are submissive, I think we are always ungrateful. I think always. When we are proud, when I am proud, I am always ungrateful. You can count on it. They go together. Gratitude is the equal and opposite of pride and an attitude of, of lack of submission. Gratitude sees everything as a gift. Pride sees what I'm entitled and how I should be treated, how I need to be treated. Gratitude sees everything as a gift. Our intelligence is a gift. Our abilities are a gift. Our health is a gift. Our life is a gift. Every breath that we have is a gift. Your children are gifts. Your spouse is a gift. Your family 
is a gift. Your church is a gift. Verse 5 tells us that when we are humble, we receive grace. Now, it's easy for us to think of grace as not getting what we deserve, and that is, that is in fact, the truth. Leniency. Grace is leniency, or we, have, we, we should be getting something, but we get off. Grace is that. But I think it's important for us to not only think of grace as leniency. I think we should also see grace as power. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more in the next sermon. Verse 10, we have that same word, grace, the God of all grace. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But grace is not only not getting what we deserve, but it's the power to do what we ought to do. And I think that sort of grace is instructive for me. It helps, it helps me. It's not only not getting what we deserve, but it's the power to do what we ought to do. Grace is power. And I think that is a gift. That is a gift. God's grace is an incredible gift to us. And grace is sort of like manna to the children of Israel. And Lamentations chapter 3 he talks about this same thing, where he, calls, he talks about God's mercies being new every morning, sort of like manna. They just, it was good for that day. And sometimes it's easy for me to think about needing grace for tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. Well, there'll be grace for that time. There'll be power for that time. But the grace that God gives us is for today. It's current. God's grace is a gift. And in that very sense... Grace and gratitude go together. And I think in that very sense, gratitude is also a gift. Here's the third thing. Resting in sovereignty recognizes lordship. Notice what he says. He says in verse verse 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Sovereignty, lordship. And I think this passage just talks about us in that such a strong way. Notice the last two verses. He talks about being clothed with humility and um, being submissive. And then he says, verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore. That's another connecting word, therefore. Because of that, because of what, of the points that were just made, We need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. I think just to summarize the flow of the passage so far, he says whether we're old or whether we're young, whether we have whatever position of leadership we're in, whoever you are, all of of us, all of you all need to blend together in submission and working together, having that spirit or that attitude of submission and humility, because God favors those people. He gives those people power, but he resists people who take the opposite approach. He fights proud people. So therefore, he says, therefore, because of that, because God resists proud people, humble yourself. That's the flow. That's the flow of thought. Under what? Shall we humble ourselves? The mighty 
hand of God. That term, the mighty hand of God, is used, I think, 20 other times in the Bible, almost all of them in the Old Testament. I'm not exactly sure why, but that's, that's the, the pattern. Peter would have been familiar with, with those. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. I'm not going to take the time to, to talk about that much. Where the mighty hand of God is talked about in the Old Testament, but it's numerous times, and Peter would have been familiar with that. The mighty hand of God. For instance, if you go to a hospital and you need surgery done and you go to the hospital, you submit yourself to the doctor. You go under the knife, we say. And that's, that's the picture. You are, submit yourself to, to the Novocaine. You submit yourself to the, um, yeah, being put to sleep or whatever the process is. You, you give yourself to the doctor. That's the mighty hand of the doctor. And I think in this particular context, we're called to put ourselves under God's knife and allow the suffering and the things that come into our lives to, to make us, to shape us into something better than we are without his help. I like the passages in the Bible that are concise and give maybe a certain list of things. One of those verses is Micah chapter 6, verse 8. We know it by heart. He has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. That's, that's the picture. That's what God wants for our lives, to walk humbly under the mighty hand of God. In other words, trust God with your life. Trust your life under his care. He's better at it than you are. He knows the solutions. He knows the remedies. He is able, he is trained, for lack of a better term, to take care of those of our problems. God promotes those who come under his care. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. <clears throat> Promotion, exaltation. Again, thinking of Philippians 2, uh, when you think of that. <clears throat> Trust God enough with your life so that you don't live for people's affirmation, but you're willing to wait for God's exaltation. I'd like to turn now and just look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It's a familiar verse to all of us, and I'd like to just chew on this verse. It's such a blessing uh, to me, and uh, has been, and just in preparing this uh, sermon, I just find it such a blessing. What a wonderful promise we have. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Let's look at this sort of in a word-by-word word sort of way. The first word that I'd like to look at is the word care. Casting all your cares. Your care. Now, none of us can say that we have no cares. We care about things in our lives. There's things that we're concerned about. You've probably heard people described, uh, maybe especially a younger person, where they say he, doesn't, he or she doesn't have a care in the world. Well, we're talking about a happy-go-lucky kind of person, but even that person has things that they are concerned about. And maybe, maybe that happy-go-lucky attitude is actually a cover-up. It's a coping method for what they're actually facing. I don't know for sure. But we all have cares. There are situations that bring discomfort to us. There's things that we're facing that 
consume our thoughts and our minds. Our hearts are set on those kinds of things. And it's the natural human response to be consumed by those things, to worry, to feel feelings of anxiety in those situations. Those are cares. This verse tells us that we should cast those cares. And this word here is a very strong term. The word casting talks about sort of a natural, uh, reflexive kind of uh, action. Sort of like when there's a bee in your face. You, your hand, your body goes into motion when there's a bee in your face, right? Or, interestingly enough, this week I've heard of people who were sick, and that's, that's sort of the same thing. Casting means throwing up. Like, the problem that's inside of you just comes out. You can't stop it. Nature has a way of just, yeah, throwing those things out of your body. Casting. Another form of this word in the, in the Greek is, has a little bit more order than that, maybe, but it's, it would be sort of like packing a suitcase or loading, loading luggage into a car when you're going onto a trip. And yet a third one, which I think is maybe in line with some of the others, an illustration of casting would be when you check in your luggage at the airport. You put, the, you put that luggage in the care of people that can do a better job with it than you can. And that's, that's the idea of casting. And then the word all, casting all. It's been well said, perhaps not entirely 100% accurate, but they say that all means all, and that's all that all means. We are to instructed to cast all of our cares, all of them, all of them. It doesn't say cast most of your cares or some of your cares, all of them. Cast all your cares. You see, with God, it's all small potatoes. God is never confronted with a situation where he's like, oh my goodness, that's a big problem. God never has situations like that. We do. He doesn't. It's all small potatoes to him. And I think it's just this verse, this word all, just emphasizes the fact that we need to give all of our lives, all of our situations. God's got this, is the emphasis. And then he says, your care. And I know that some of our personalities are much more uh, geared toward bearing other people's burdens. And that's good, I think. But this verse tells us that we are, personalizes that a bit more. And he says, we're to cast your care, yours. Not your mom or dad's cares. Not your brother or sister or your friend's cares. Not your child or your parents' cares. Your care. The cares that you're facing. Cast those upon him. And then the time, then that phrase, upon him. And it looks like I forgot to put a slide for that. The times when you don't know where to go for help. Go to God. Go to God. Cast your cares upon him, upon him, whether knowingly, subconsciously. Realize that you are not suited to deal with the cares and the anxieties that you're facing. He is. We're not. It's the idea of sovereignty, of lordship. Rest in that. 
He can take care of it. You can't. When we carry our cares, it greatly impacts our effectiveness. We're not nearly effective to, to carry. We're not made to carry our, our cares. We are weakened. Even worse, I think that attempting to carry our cares often leads us to other sins. Nearly always. And I've pointed that out a little bit earlier, I think. When we, when we attempt to handle our cares, it creates, it sort of leads us into other problems. It makes us miserable for one thing instead of blessed. And when we're miserable, we tend to not be thankful. Gratitude exits our lives. <clears throat> a couple of other verses that sort of indicate that. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, or they didn't see him as Lord, they didn't cast their cares, neither were thankful, he says. I'm circling back to this idea of gratitude. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, with gratitude, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. And then the last phrase, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. The verb careth there is in the present continuous tense. He always cares. He continues to always care. It serves to remind us of the unchanging faithfulness of God. The love of God. Life brings changes. We all know that. Life brings things into our lives. Life has a way of happening, they say. And those are tests and present new challenges for us, always. But God presently, continuously cares. Again, the idea of daily manna for the children of Israel. His grace, his care is for, for today. There's going to be a new set of caring that God will bring into our lives tomorrow or next week or next month. But God's grace, his power, his care for us is for today. It's present, continuous, right now. And I think that leads us to, should lead us to gratitude. If I let God carry, I'm still going to have the problem. It doesn't mean that the problem will cease to exist but it's going to help me think about it in a different way. I won't be consumed by it. I won't be torn by it. That's the difference. So let's cast our cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. There's something else that I've found true in my life, and I think it should be said here this morning. The big question is not, does God care? That's not the question. I think we've been in church pews enough, we can all say, we know that God cares. We've heard that said many times, God cares. The bigger question is, not, is whether or not I recognize God's care for my life. And I think the, tendency, the temptation for me is to see God's care in a very narrow sort of way. God's care for me is a soft pillow and a cool drink. And I think we should just avoid putting God in such, such a narrow place. God's care comes to us in many forms. And God's care is not limited to, to just 
what's good for us always. I think God's care sometimes comes in forms that help us to take that next step of faith and to, to grow in our level of, of understanding of Him. God's care for us is not always a release from the circumstances that we're facing. I think there's moments where the very thing that are causing us care are actually God giving us. Um, um, it, it's, it's His care. It's actually His care. He's bringing things into our lives to, to grow us and to mature us and to develop us. 1 Peter 5, verse 7, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. I want to just give you three walk-away points in summing up all of this. Number one, for all that we've talked about, submission, humility, resting, these are not instantaneous things that happen. It hasn't been that way in my life. They're not natural things that happen. It's supernatural. We need God's working in our lives to bring us to that point. We need to have a period of time sometimes for that to happen. And it's a supernatural thing. God has to work it in us. It's not something that we work in in and of ourselves. It's part of the sanctification process. Second point. When relationships get hard in your life, check the oil. Maybe sometimes we're running a bit low in the oil of humility and submission. And that's what keeps the gears running smoothly. That's what prevents the friction and the tension that we feel sometimes in our lives. And then thirdly, burdens will accumulate throughout the day. They will. If, you're, if your life is anything like mine, you, you have an accumulation of burdens, and sometimes those burdens tend to snowball. Let's learn to cast them on God. As soon as you get the burden, cast it. Lord, it's yours. Lord, it's yours. It's yours. I'm going to let you take care of it. I'm going to let you take care of it. I'm going to resist the urge. I'm handing this over to you. Handle this for me, God. And it takes humility to do that. It's a realization, an understanding of who I am, and an understanding of who God is. Recognition and admission that He is Lord, He is God, and I'm not. You're letting God be God when you do that. And when you do that, I think, again, we're letting God run the universe. We're resigning as the chief operator of our lives. As I close, just a question. How about it? Let's let God handle. Let's let God handle it. How about it? I'm so thankful to serve a caring Heavenly Father. If you're able, I invite you to kneel for prayer.